There is no part of the story that I'm about to tell that I condone. It's terrible. It's bad behavior. I made a really bad choice. I sincerely regret it. No one should ever do this. And now you're all dying to know what I did. So when I was a freshman in college, I went to a state school that was just close because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I thought I'll go and just chip away at the GE requirements. And one of the requirements that I could take at the college was a course in astronomy. I had to have a science class and I thought that sounded really interesting. So I went to the astronomy course and it was okay. Um, I, I learned some stuff and the professor was a little bit quirky, but it, it was okay. There was only two things that made up the grade. There was a midterm and there was a final. So because that's pretty weighty, I studied really, really hard for the midterm because, you know, 50% of the grade or whatever. Well, one aspect of the story I haven't told you about yet was that this was one of those classrooms that had tiered seating, not just flat on the floor. So when I went early to the class uh, for the midterm and I ended up sitting on the top tier. And, and here we get to the part of the story that I'm not really proud about. So it was a multiple choice test. And from where I was seated, I could see everybody else's tests. And so I would mark my thing, uh, my card, and I was like, I think that's right. And then I'd look around. And if the majority of other people had that answer, I'd stick with it. If the majority of other people did not have that answer, I changed my answer. Well, the upshot of it was, I got the highest grade in the class. So I'm thinking, why work so hard on the final? I will just sit up really high and I'll do the same thing. I'll just look at everybody else's paper and I'll go with what 90% of the people said. I, I thought this was perfect. So I, I didn't study, I didn't do anything, I didn't even go to class. So the next time I showed up was the day of the final. Well, unfortunately, I got held up. And so I came almost late to the final. There was one chair left in the room. It was on the bottom level. I couldn't see anything. I had no idea what the questions were. I just guessed on every single one of them. I got the lowest grade in the class. I nearly failed the class. I barely passed it. I thought I was gaming the system, but it didn't work out that way because a moment of accountability came and I was totally unprepared. Now here's something that I think is true about many of us. We don't always think about the consequences of what we do or what the logical, con uh, what the logical conclusions of choices we make might be. We live in the now. We do what we want to do. And then sometimes we get blindsided when there's a cost to our actions. Here's the other thing. To this day, I know relatively little about astronomy. I had a chance that I'll never get again, and I completely squandered it. I walk outside now, you know, with Bailey at about 10 o'clock, and I look up at the stars, and I'm like, I probably should know what that is. I can identify Jupiter, usually. And I think I blew the opportunity that I had. What did I do instead of going to class and learning? I have no idea. I probably had lunch with my friends. And to this day, I'm embarrassed by the choice that I made, and I'm sad that I blew a great opportunity and made such a foolish choice. 
I hope I've grown a little wiser since then because wisdom ultimately is a choice. We're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount today and Jesus ends with a story. It's in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 and following. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So if you remember way back in April, when we first started studying the Jesus way, and when we got to the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about how most people approach this as, this is crazy talk. Who can do this stuff? But we talked about how this wasn't a utopian vision of life or legalistic list of what you had to do. It was about the community that Jesus was creating. It was primarily a description of the type of people that were in the kingdom of God. It told about the logical results of actually following Jesus. This is the type of thing that bursts out all over if you do that. And we kept seeing that the Sermon on the Mount was something that Jesus was serious about. And the story today is how I know the Sermon on the Mount is not theoretical. That Jesus expected us to do these things and to be people like this. Because the very last thing that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is that he confronts us with a choice. And he does it with a parable, a story. So there's two men. And one of them is wise and he needs to build a house. And he's lived in Israel-Palestine for a while. He knows what the weather can be like. And so he's like, if I want to build a house that's going to last through the storms, then it's got to be built pretty solid. And in order to have a really solid house, you need to put it on a solid foundation. So he goes ahead and he builds a solid foundation and he puts his house on that. And then the inevitable rains and storms come and lo and behold, because the house is solidly built and it's placed on a strong foundation, it survives the storms. But there's another man who is foolish and he either forgets or wasn't thinking about the weather, but he goes and does what is the easiest thing. He puts up a house only he doesn't think about the foundation. He doesn't realize that the house is only going to be as firm as the foundation that it's on. So he just finds a nice area, maybe with a view, and plops his house down on the sand. And the inevitable storms come, winter comes, and when the winter rains and the creek rises, there's no foundation for the house. And so the water starts to seep underneath it, and the next thing you know, the whole thing collapses. And that's the basis of the story. Houses and what they're built on and the type of people who build those houses. But this whole little section of the story begins with one word, which I told you is a, a key of biblical interpretation. Whenever the word therefore is there, you always have to ask, what is it there for? So Jesus begins this story by saying therefore. 
In essence, I've taught you all these things. Now, you have a choice to make. What are you going to do with everything you've just heard? And that's why Jesus notes that both of these men heard his words. And we all know that hearing something is different from actually doing it or obeying it. I talk to my dog, Bailey, and sometimes I tell him to do something. It might be sit, it might be come here, it might be off, you know, any number of things that Bailey knows how to do. And lots of times it's just me calling him to come. And he doesn't always respond. And I know he hears me. And sometimes I'll even say, Bailey, I know you speak English. I know you understand what I just said to you. It isn't enough to just go, okay, Bailey heard me. Bailey has to actually do what I told him. Then he's really heard me. And that's the key to everything that Jesus has talked about. Now you actually have to do what he says. That's why I think Bible study is great, but Bible study should lead to action. And if it doesn't, I'm not sure we really learned what the Bible said. It's also why we emphasize service, because we believe that's one way that we could put into practice what we've learned in our Bibles and what we've learned about following Jesus. We believe that God is interested in ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice. And that's why one Sunday a year we go out and we do those things. So hearing and doing is important. In the story, hearing is connected to action. That's how the story begins. You've heard, now what will you do? And one of the key things that I want to make sure that we don't miss is that these stories are not for the pagans or the heathens or the irreligious. These are the sto this story is about the consequences for believers, people who've heard. So we have two men. Not a rich man and a poor man, because the story isn't about money. Not a Jew and a Gentile, because the story isn't about nationality or race. Not a Pharisee and a tax collector, because the story isn't about religious people and irreligious people. It's about a wise man and a foolish man. Because some of the other things are accidents of birth, or the result of breaks going your way, or differing opportunities. But the comparison between wise and foolish that could be anyone in any situation. Anyone and everyone can put themselves into this story of the wise man and the foolish man. And they build these houses. And it's important to note that he wasn't a wise man because he built his house on the rock. And the other wasn't a foolish man because he built his house on the sand. Because he was a wise man, he built his house on the rock. Because he was a foolish man, he built his house on the sand. The wise person anticipated what might be ahead. The foolish person didn't. So let's talk for a minute about wisdom and foolishness. So how do you become wise? How do you get wisdom? Well, you follow Jesus. Proverbs 9.10 says, respect and obey the Lord. That's the beginning 
of wisdom. And that's the whole thing that Jesus has been talking about this entire time. If you follow me, these are the types of things that are going to happen. These are the types of things that are going to be in your life. This is the type of person you're going to be. This is the type of community that will be created. So really the answer is to follow Jesus. And how you do that is connect deeply with God. One of the things you can do is read some of the wisdom literature. Read the book of Proverbs. It's all about wisdom. You'll be amazed at the stuff that's in there. And there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. You can read a chapter a day. I'd suggest if you haven't seen them yet, watch the Bible Project videos. These are amazing. There are whole books. There are themes uh, that, that they talk about. I mean, I'm a huge fan of them, the Bible Project. Go back and find the VeggieTales videos from like the 90s and the 2000s. I mean, The Rumor Weed, Madame Blueberry, Esther, Daniel in the Lion's Den. We still sing those songs at my house. And go ahead and tell your kids it's for them. Really, it's for you. It's a great way to hear these stories again. Connect deeply with other people who are sincerely following Jesus. Be in a small group, be in a Bible study, have a mentoring relationship. I know, I know, I know, you're too busy. But the truth of the matter is, we all do what we want to do. It's a choice you make, and that choice will put you on a certain path. Join a small group. You have time, you can do it. Look at the path you're on. That's what the wise person did. Discern where you're heading. Is this where I want to be going? And sometimes wisdom is just defining reality. It's seeing things for what they are. Maybe realizing that things aren't going the way that you had hoped, so it's time to deal with the way things are. Maybe realizing that you can't help this person anymore. Or realizing that you've just been making excuses to keep you from doing what you really need to do. And that's a huge part of the story. The wise man discerned the reality of the situation and planned accordingly. The foolish man didn't. So that leads us to foolishness. How do you get it? Well, it's relatively easy. Don't look where you're going. Ignore good advice. Isolate yourself. I found a couple of great passages about fools in the book of Proverbs, you can see if they resonate, not with you or people you know, but you know other people. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Been on social media recently. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 18.6, the, the lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. I shouldn't enjoy that one as much as I did, but I do. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do those things, and you're foolish. Two types of men, two types of houses, and they all end up at a storm. Now, the weather conditions that Jesus talks about are the weather conditions of that area. Because in Israel-Palestine, when it rains, it pours. So this is predictable. I, I've been thinking over the last couple of days, it's been a little toasty here. And people have been complaining about the heat. I get it. We don't have air conditioning either. But I just keep thinking on these warm days, November is coming. It's predictable. 
So the people who listened to Jesus' story knew that the storms would come, the heat would come, and so they anticipate that. And the wise man said to himself, if this house is going to last, it's got to start with a firm foundation. Otherwise, it will simply wash away. So in this story about the storms, what does Jesus have in mind here? Well, if you put it together with the other examples of the choices that we can make, he is definitely talking about the last judgment, that there will be a moment of accountability, like my astronomy class. You'll either be prepared or you won't be prepared. But you also can't miss the element of the storms of life. The houses are a metaphor. It's about the foundations of our lives. What are we building our lives on? Because some stuff is solid and some stuff is not. Some stuff will last and some stuff will not. The Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989 in the San Francisco Bay Area. And one of the hardest hit areas of the city of San Francisco was the Marina District. And I love the Marina District. There's beautiful houses, there's lovely parks, it's right on the bay. There's these gorgeous Victorian houses and it looks really solid. But what everybody in that area found out, which led to the devastation, is that that area, that whole neighborhood, was built on ground that was reclaimed from the bay. They basically just dumped dirt on the area and filled it in and it felt solid. It had been solid since they built the neighborhood, but once the earth started to shake, liquefaction happened and the ground literally just turned to quicksand and that area was devastated. It looked solid, but when a little shaking came, it liquefied. Well, guess what? We have earthquakes in our lives and everything can liquefy in a moment unless we've chosen to build on a strong foundation, like knowing God and his promises to us, like solid friendships, people who are real friends, not just deal friends, like marriages based on a shared faith, like not putting your trust in just your 401k. I'd have just been thinking about this line from a hymn over and over again, in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is seeking sand. Within the veil is talking about in the temple, in the holy of holies, the place where God dwells. So the idea is that when we're deeply connected to God, we have an anchor that will hold even in the worst storms. So the story about the wise man and the foolish man is the third of the contrasts that Jesus makes about how we can respond to the Sermon on the Mount. There are two paths a wide one and a narrow one. There are two types of trees, one that produces good fruit, one that produces bad fruit, and there are two ways to build a house. And each of these has what we probably think of as a very un-Jesus-y consequence because the wide path leads to destruction. The bad tree that produces bad fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire, and the house built on the sand will collapse. But Jesus gives us plenty of notice. Depending on what you do, that's how things are going to pan out. It's predictable. I knew that it was wrong to cheat in my astronomy class, and I did it anyway. And I was shocked when there was a consequence. Of course there are consequences to what we do. And maybe realizing that is the beginning of wisdom. 
And then in the last two verses, it talks about a crowd that is amazed at the teaching of Jesus. So Jesus gets through this address, which has taken us four months to get through, and the crowd is amazed, and they're looking around at each other going, who is this dude? A whole bunch of people had just listened to Jesus lay out his vision for the community that he's creating, and their reaction is, we've never heard anything like this before. And this actually sets up the question that Matthew will ask over and over again throughout his gospel. Who is this man? And that's actually what we're going to be talking about throughout the fall. Who is Jesus really? So the crowd asks the question, who is this man? We've never heard anything like this before. And the gospel leaves the question open. The crowd goes, well, how, how about that? Isn't his teaching something? But we don't know what they do. Now, some of them obviously heard and obeyed and changed the world. Some of them must not have done anything. There's lots of examples in this gospel of people walking away from Jesus because the narrow way can be hard. It takes extra work to build on a firm foundation. And then I think about us. We've just been through this sermon series that I've really loved, and I've heard a lot of great feedback. We've gotten to the end, and like the crowd that originally heard it, we're like, well, how about that? Wasn't that something? But like the crowd in the gospel, the end of your story isn't written either. That's something that you get to do. And it occurs to me that maybe if you're trying to decide whether you take the narrow road or the wide road, what you're going to build your house and all that, it might be time to do a cost-benefit analysis. Where do you find the most peace? Where do you find the most meaning for your life? What makes the most sense out of your existence? Ask questions like that and see what your answers are, where you find those. There's also some very practical benefits. For example, researchers at the Mayo Clinic concluded, most studies have shown that religious involvement and spirituality are associated with better health outcomes, including greater longevity, coping skills, and health-related quality of life, even during terminal illness, and less anxiety, depression, and suicide. Several studies have shown that addressing the spiritual needs of the patient may enhance recovery from illness. Do a cost-benefit analysis. See if the cost is better than the benefit. So you've heard the teachings of Jesus now. You can hear and put them into practice, or you can hear and ignore them. Both will have consequences, but the next chapter is up to you. So let me ask you three questions. In response to everything that you've heard about the Jesus way, what do you need to do? Number two, what do you believe that you haven't really acted on yet? Number three, what is in your life that shows that you're putting Jesus' words into practice? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. 
If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.